Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everybody. I'm your host and friend, Reverend Shar McCain, and I'd like to welcome listeners to Sacred Sunday. Sacred Sunday was created just to focus on the tenth. The Sunday is a special day to set aside some time for spiritual focus, meditation, and prayer. All faiths are welcome. I'm a Christian in recovery, and all Bible readings will be out of my Ryrie Study Bible. And of course, you can use any Bible you have on hand, would you wish it to? And I have many spiritual experience, and in gratitude, we'll be having ongoing Bible readings. 
And I'm just uh, focused on being my real self and carrying the message given to me. Uh, the listening in number and calling in number is 619-924-9744. And it's Sundays, and I was a little late this morning. I want to apologize to everybody for being late, but I am here. And uh, the show is also available uh, right after they work on it for a minute, right after each show, and you're welcome to listen then too. The opening music was by Save Vocal Group from the CD Native Angels by Save. And if you want to order a copy, contact Save, S-A-V-A-E dot org. And they're also on Facebook and do live shows. You can listen to them on YouTube. And they have a CD on Amazon and they have very interesting music, uh, Native American instruments and, and some vocals and mixed in with uh, uh, just beautiful harmonies, I think. And for the opening prayer, let's just say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. And we pray for all Christians being persecuted worldwide. Their freedoms to worship and lives are in jeopardy. We started praying this prayer before everything came out about ISIS. I just found out, Heavenly Father, that they're you know killing the clergy and everything else. And uh, our prayers go out to their families and everybody hurt by this. And uh, we do believe they have become martyrs. And we pray for all those suffering from violence from here and abroad. We pray for those who are sick in mind and body and those who are lonely and uncomforted. And we ask God to forgive our sins. And we pray for those suffering from domestic violence. They're in their own homes. And we also pray to be free from addiction of all kinds. Please, God, send your Archangel Michael to fight against evil and protect all of us and all your angels to watch over everyone. Our prayers go out to those who suffer in the world, including the animals that can't speak for themselves. Excuse me. We also pray for wisdom of our president and the rest of the policymakers. They have many decisions to make, and we are praying for all countries with problems suffering all over the world. Thank God. Thank you, God. Amen for protecting us and helping bring us to more knowledge of what we understand to be a Christian. And we ask Jesus to bless us and help us grow under his care. And everyone in their families are in our prayers. And our beloved, we pray that those who have gone before us and many recently have passed away, we just pray they're in peace now with their Heavenly Father. Okay, we wish this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, God. And then, uh, happy birthday to anybody that has a birthday today. God bless you. I wish you a very many happy birthday and many to come and a very prosperous year ahead. And if you'd like me to say any happy birthdays to your friends and family, I'd be happy to. Just let me know when the birthdays are, okay? Okay, so now we've finished with our First Thessalonians, and now we're into a pretty short chapter Second Thessalonians chapter 1, if you want to get your Bibles out. And I'm going to read you the summary by schmook.com. And I love that place. You can read, get all kinds of information over there, www.shmoop.com. Okay, so, well, hello again. Again, this letter starts with a greeting from Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy to the folks at Thessalonica. Hey, y'all, long time don't write. Again, again, Paul is thankful for the Christian in Thessalonia. They are so darn holy and awesome. So the Thessalonians are suffering a bit. So what? It's all part of God's master plan to strengthen them. And no worries. 
God will take it, make it right in the end and take it away from everybody, whatever the pressure was. When Jesus comes down from heaven with the angels and fire all around him, non-believers are going to pay big time. Believers, on the other hand, are golden. Paul prays for all the time for the Thessalonians that will keep straight and narrow and they be deemed worthy by God to be part of this elite group of humans who won't be having divine wrath poured upon them. Anyway, we're guessing the Thessalonians are shooting for this too. So let's go. That's the summary. So let's go to our Bibles and read it direct from the word itself. And I, I will read the introduction because this is a very short chapter. So Second Second Thessalonians, and this is written by Paul in the date of 51. Purpose. This letter is sent to, by Paul to the church at Thessalonica not long after First Thessalonians to meet a new situation. Word had reached Paul that somehow there had been a misunderstanding, if not representation, misrepresentation of his teaching concerning the coming of the day of the Lord. Some thought its judgments had already begun, yet they understood Paul to have taught that they would be exempt from these judgments. The practical ramification of this doctrinal confusion has, was that some, thinking the end of the world was at hand, had stopped working and were creating an embarrassing situation. So Paul corrects the teaching and reprimands the idlers. Anyway, the contents, the major section of the man of sin, Thessalonians uh, uh, 2, 1 through 12, should be compared with other pages that tell the same of the Antichrist, actually. So let's turn to our second, second letter of this Paul to the Thessalonians. Salutations. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus, thanksgiving and encouragement in persecutions. We are always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as it is only fitting because your faith is greatly enlarged. The love each of you towards one another grows ever greater. Therefore, we ourselves speak loudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be concerned, worthy, considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for each of you are suffering. For all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven in his mighty angels in the flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. When he comes from the glorified when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day, to be marveled among all those who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. To this end also we pray for you always, that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire of goodness and the work of faith in you with power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So I told you it was a short letter, so let's go read the notes. And the notes are, your faith is greatly enlarged. Paul's earlier fears about their faith have disappeared in light of their exceptional growth in love. And Paul used them as an example to other churches. So everybody's doing really good at Thessalonica. Endurance's suffering proves that God's judgment of them is right and shows their fitness for the kingdom. And uh, to Paul, 
and Sylvanus, uh, who was also Silas, and Timothy, who knew what it was to be under pressure and per- pressure for the faith and persecution, relief is promised at the return of Christ, who will then judge those who afflict his people. And of course, those who die experience relief from suffering at death, but they, as well as those who live, will not be vindicated until their enemies are punished, where those who have died are waiting in heaven for vindication over their enemies on earth. And then eternal uh, destruction, that was on one nine, Not annihilation, but ruined by reason of separation from the presence of the Lord. And the destruction is said to be sudden, and here it is eternal. So then, brings up to the last point, is when Christ returns, he shall be glorified not by his saints, but in them, in what they are, saints, by his grace. That was a beautiful little letter, and we will read the, keep reading and going through, and after this Second Thessalonians, we look forward to reading First Timothy, so we're making our way straight through the Bible, I'm very happy to say, and um, we're graced with God that we can even do any of this, you know, because I wasn't feeling well this morning, that's why I was slightly late, sorry. So anyway, let's see what else here. I think I can reach out of our trusty guidepost again, and let's try to find a story we haven't read before. And uh, I want to know, let everybody know that you're in my prayers. I pray for everybody every day, and I also pray for myself that I have the strength to keep going and uh, keep keep doing all of this, and you know, keep me in your prayers. I need you as well. Okay, so I found a story. It's by uh, it's called "The Dazzling Darkness" by Don Wren Lewis in Sydney, Australia. My mother's admonition flashed in my mind. When the man on the bus of, of something Thailand dug two toffees from his pocket and offered them smiling. But my mother died in 1940 when I was 16, and now in 1983, after more than a decade of traveling and working all over the world, I'd long since discounted her warning. In fact, this well dressed and well spoken young man typified the hospitality of my fellow researcher, psychologist Anne Faraday, and I encountered during the past few weeks in the offshore islands of Thailand. We've been enjoying a break from our field work in the neighboring Malaysia. We were grateful for the man's assistance in finding the bus and help us in loading our luggage. We couldn't say no to his offer of candy. Neither of us suspected him of being a personification of the evil of the angel of death, and I mean angel in the full sense of the word, Christian word, where the angel is a messenger from God. Back when the angels seemed like silly superstition to me, as a former mathematical physicist, I had a little patience for things outside the realm of measurable human experience, even though I was a staunch Christian as far as ethics and social values were concerned. I never really understood the lifelong interest in mysticism and religious experience that had been Anne's inspiration for turning her scientific abilities to the study of consciousness and dreams. For the past 15 years, I had been collaborating on her research, but mysticism seemed to me like a neurotic escape from real life. Perhaps even a symptom of a grave mental disorder. I propose, in in retrospect, that I was a perfect candidate for angelic contention. He must have had those in his pockets for a long time, Anne remarked, and discreetly taking the toffee from her mouth and wrapping it in a tissue as we bounced along the road. I nodded, for mine too certainly was had an odd, musty taste. I didn't want to seem rude. The young man was concerned that Anne wasn't eating the candy, so he offered another piece which she politely declined, and then at the first stop, he hesitantly got off. 
still through the morning. The day was steamy and hot, and I began to feel drowsy. Sleep became irresistible. The last thing I remember is my chin hitting my chest. I awoke in a hospital bed with a dark a sky darkening above and an IV drip and oxygen cylinder beside me. Anne was asleep in a camp bed in the far side of what appeared to be a small private ward. A white-coated doctor stood over me. We thought we'd lost you, he said. My first thought was that I must be dreaming, and it took some time for me to grasp the reality of what happened. Thank goodness I trusted my taste buds, or we'd probably both be dead, Anne said later as the nurse served us supper. The policemen think that the young man was part of a gang who drugs tourists on buses and trains and robs, and trains and robs them. This time, he seems to have used an overdose, enough to kill, according to the doctor. He made himself scarce as soon as he saw I wasn't eating the coffee. And then Anne understood immediately what had happened when my head slumped against my chest and I began to drool. She assumed it was simple knockout drops and laid me out across the seat, sleep it off, but I turned blue from lack of oxygen. And when she took my pulse, it was non-detectable. She appealed to the bus driver who at first I was drunk. And when Anne convinced him it was an emergency, he reluctantly pulled over and helped her lay my, my comatose form in the grass on the roadside. Then drove off, not about to be letting anything like this upset his schedule. Wow. Only the good, the good luck and a passing van carried a hitching policeman who enabled her to get me to the hospital in Surat, Tainai. There the staff struggled for four uncertain hours before reestablishing my final signs. For me, trying to take this all in was something else, something very strange, though I really didn't begin to focus on it until the hospital settled down for the night. I remained awake and astonished. I felt as if I had enough sleep to last a lifetime. As I sat there propped up against the pillows, I began to realize I had been no ordinary unconsciousness to which I awakened. Nor was it anything like those out-of-body experiences I read from people who had been close to death, experiences I dismissed with my usual skepticism. It was as if I emerged freshly made, with all my memories recreated from the vast, dazzling darkness. There had been none. Yet everything in unbelieving aliveness in space and time was like being reborn, and I remembered an old nursery rhyme. Where do you come from, baby dear? Out of everywhere, into here. That wonderful everywhere was right here with me in that hospital room. Almost as if it were producing my consciousness by shining light through the back of my head. I felt so palpably real that I put my hand in the back of my skull, wondering if the doctors had sawed part of it away. Yet it wasn't the least a frightening feeling, more like a removal of a cataract from my soul, letting me see the world and myself properly for the first time. That dark, lovely radiance seemed to reveal the essence of everything as holy, even the discolored sheets, the peeling paint, the smell of the bathroom, the coughs, the groans from the patients in adjoining rooms. From the recesses of my memory, I emerged an image out of the Bible of the whole universe coming into being from the darkness upon the face of the deep, and the Creator finding it all, every bit of it, good. My scientist's mind immediately balked at the idea of that I, of all people, might be having some kind of religious experience, and I sought an alternative explanation, a lingering effect from the poisons, perhaps, but no, the doctor has said some hours back that this stuff had been metabolized out of my system. So was I just feeling a strange joy of living after surviving such a close brush with death? At that point, I got the biggest jolt yet. I realized that were I told now that I was to die at any minute, that I would not survive the hour, I simply wouldn't mind. 
Somehow my fear of dying had been completely removed. It was as if the wonder of life was sufficient to itself, moment by moment. No matter what the future might bring, it is the world for, is it in this world or any other world. The word eternity echoed through my mind, and my mind finally surrendered to the idea of a mystical experience. I sensed something like a gentle chuckle in the dark, and I remember Dante's famous vision of entering paradise and seeing the smile of the universe. For the first time in my life, I understood what he meant. How would I find words until Anne the next day? I still wasn't contemplating the possibility that this wonderful consciousness had come to stay and would be with me the rest of my life. Today, 11 years later, that sense of presence is still within me. It's with me right now as I gaze out my window in Sydney at the cliffs in the ocean. It is with me as I type this in the hardness of a chair in the back, back of the chair I'm sitting on. And most astonishingly of all is the pain in the back of my neck, which warns me that I haven't been here over too long and need a rest. For more than a decade, my colleague Anne has been able to study my ongoing religious experience. Perhaps most extraordinarily has been the discovery that God can transform even the experience of pain. It is not easy to explain, but somehow I experience things like sore throats and stiff joints from the inside, where pain isn't my enemy at all, but a part of God's marvelous creation. At an age when most people retire, I have been given a new whole life. I've read every book about mysticism I could lay my hands on, and now I'm convinced the presence of the faith is all about. For me, the great glory and discovery has been that Jesus was speaking the simple truth that he said the kingdom of God is right here, in and amongst us all the time. The angels are forces of God that wakes us to the kingdom's presence. For me, closest to death was just that, mediated by a would-be thief on a bus in Thailand. Shortly after his return to Australia, John Wren Lewis came across the night a poem by the 7th century Christian poet Henry Vaughan. The final stanza reads, There is in God someday a deep but dazzling darkness. As men here say it's late and dusty because of they see not all clear. For oh, what that night when I and him might live invisible and dim. Well, I thank you. That was a... A wonderful story, and I, I really do identify that. And I have, I'm almost had my my book finished, and it's called Worth and Worship, and I have my near death experiences in there, and it should be ready pretty soon, and I'll be uh, able to tell you guys about it, and you can get it if you want. And um, anyway, it's been a, a beautiful day. I'm sorry again for being late, it's very embarrassing. But uh, just forgive me, and I'll see you next week at the same time and same station. And uh, Let's do our um, traditional outgoing prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. And uh, I want to thank you for joining Sacred Sunday. Please come back next week. Next week, bring your friends and family. And in closing, God bless and keep you in his loving arms that you may have the strength to face whatever is ahead. You're never alone. I love you so much, and may God bless your dreams come true, and may true love live in your heart. And remember, God loves you. He made this for you. That's why we have everything in this whole eternity is because he loves you so much. Message me if you have any concerns or requests for prayers, and you need to discuss something. Uh, bye, my friends. Happy trails to you. And I thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for your patience, and God bless you. And hope you have a wonderful week ahead, and if you're not feeling well, I hope you feel better, and God bless you. In Jesus' name.
Thank you. 